This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. to open the voice gate rewind and rewatch episode 45 covering fearless 2013 from the elks lodge in queens new york on november 16th 2013 we are members of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find our podcast on the voices of wrestling feed or you can find it on the open the voice gate feed on all podcast platforms and applications you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate if you would like to donate to the show just click the link in the show notes it'll take you to our redcircle.com landing page you click the red box that says sponsor the show and you'll be able to set up a one-time or reoccurring donation no obligation whatsoever but i would like to thank all of our previous donors i'm one of your hosts it's your old pal iron mike spears join as always by my co-host and friend case low in case we are now really really in the back half of this I feel like i said every time but this was a card that really felt like at the end of dg usa didn't it uh, yes this is fearless 2013 and there is a definitive tone shift from even the summer shows Bushido and the anniversary show to now. It feels like a drastically different promotion. Yeah, yeah. So these are the last two shows of 2013. That after this, all we have are the opening weekend and then the WrestleMania shows case. The, uh, the light in the tunnel, tunnel is drawing bigger and bigger and closer and closer each week. And unfortunately, I think for Dragon Gate USA, they saw the light at the end of the tunnel and they got into multiple car wrecks along the way because oh, we've got six shows to cover and they all are disastrous in their own way. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of uh, things that go wrong on this show, technical wrestling and everything. But case before we get into that, we've, we've got some time to cover. And particularly, this has a lot to do with arguably the biggest American act of the last 15 years. Yeah, let's get right into the timeline. We're recording this somewhat late at night. I got to get going to bed, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get we're a, gonna grind through this exactly. But it, it's it's gonna be a good show. There's a lot to cover here, and we are gonna start with as Mike mentioned, arguably the biggest North American act of the last 15 years. We are talking about the Young Bucks and Mike a week after the Dragon USA anniversary show that we saw them wrestle Rich Swan and Ricochet. They showed up in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, at Ring of Honor. All-Star Extravaganza 5. Do you remember them pulling double duty at this point? Yeah, because I I I read the book as people know I've read the book and I knew like this was like the next big thing. And then when in 2013 when this happened, this was something that for the Bucks like they, they kind of played their hand over like the next uh over like the next like 12 months out of TNA very openly. 
So it was one of those things like this. And then, of course, Lane Leonard and commentary made comments about them just showing up in other people's companies and all of that. Yeah, so they showed up. This was August 3rd, 2013 from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. This will function as our Ring of Honor catch-up, which we've been doing throughout the series. There's just so much stuff to get to over these next two weeks. We might squeeze in a few more notes next week, but for all intents and purposes, this is going to be our Ring of, Ring of Honor catch-up for these two shows. And on that All-Star Extravaganza 5 show... The stuff to note here is they were doing a Ring of Honor World title tournament to crown the vacant uh, Ring of Honor champion after Jay Briscoe vacated the belt. The opening match on this show was a non-tournament match with Adam Page losing to Kushida. So we see a New Japan star in Ring of Honor for the first time since probably Dragon Soldier B during the Best of the American Super Juniors tournament in 2005. Also on this show, notably, Michael Elgin defeated Paul London in what was a terrific wrestling match. I would highly recommend people seek that out. And then the Young Bucks match, where they were on the losing end of a three-way tag with ACH and Tadarius Thomas and the CNC Wrestle Factory of Caprice Coleman and Cedric Alexander. But Mike, that was not all. A few weeks after that, on August 17th in Manhattan, New York, at the Hammerstein Ballroom, uh, which, by the way, I was reading that this was the lowest attended Hammerstein Ballroom show of all time for Ring of Honor, which surprised me because I really like this show. ROH Manhattan Mayhem 5, which had a real hot opener of Silas Young over Adam Page. Uh, they did the Young Bucks match on this show being the Forever Hooligans against the Young Bucks. It should be noted that the Forever Hooligans won this match, so the Young Bucks returned to the promotion, and they lose their first two matches also on this show, the debut of Outlaw Inc. Mike, are you familiar with the Outlaw Inc. unit? Oh, yeah. As soon as I saw this card as we were pulling this up on Cage Match, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, Al that's Outlaw Inc. of Eddie Kingston and Homicide with Prince Nana. Yes, and that Nana affiliation was dropped, I think, after this show. I don't remember him really being a focal part of this. I will say I was in attendance for the only good Outlaw Inc. match. They had a no-DQ <laughs> match with the Briscoes where they just hit each other as hard as they could with chairs, and that was it was lovely. Uh, but that is where we're at in Ring of Honor at this point with the reintroduction of both Eddie Kingston and Homicide doing sort of an anti-corporate, the suits are afraid of us type thing. And then also on this show, Kevin Steen versus Roderick Strong, which was terrific. Michael Elgin versus New Japan's Carl Anderson. And then the main event, the Ring of Honor World Tag Team title match, where Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly won the ROH Tag Team titles over the American Wolves of Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards in 26 minutes in a match that I remember being the best these two teams ever had. This was a really good match on what I think is one of the better Sinclair-era Ring of Honor shows I think I've ever seen because Steen and Roddy's really good, Elgin Anderson's really good, the Red Dragon main event is excellent, and that Young Bucks Forever Hooligans match is really, really good. Yeah, this Ring of Honor at this time, really getting their act together, yeah. promoting-wise, and match-wise. I mean, I remember this card pretty vividly, especially the... Red, Jack, Red Dragon title one because that was one of my big things that got me back in Ring of Honor was I really liked Bobby Fish and Baba and Kyle O'Reilly. <laughs> Bobby so, Fish and Baba Booey, is that what you're going to say? Baba Booey, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bobby Fish and Baba O'Reilly. <laughs> I would like to see Bobby Fish on the Howard Stern show. I think I would enjoy that. So yeah, Ring of Honor is getting their act together and we see them starting to use acts from New Japan Pro Wrestling at this point, which feeds right into our next point that on October 25th, 2013, 
and Cork and Hall on the Power Struggle Tour, the Young Bucks make their New Japan Pro Wrestling debut. They defeat Brian Kendrick and Trent Beretta in the opening round of the Super Junior Tag Team Tournament. A week later, I guess a week and a half later, November 6, 2013, they beat Gato and Jado in the semifinals of that tournament before on that same night defeating the Forever Hooligans and winning the Super Junior Tag Team Tournament Finals of 2013. I am on record. This Young Bucks versus Forever Hooligans match from November 6th of 2013, it is not on New Japan World, which is a real shame because for all of the great matches that the Young Bucks had during their time in New Japan, this is my favorite match they ever had. Yeah. And I mean, they had such great chemistry with Rocky Romero and Alex Kozlov. Like, Forever Hooligans was a really fun tag team. I, like I, that. I think underrated as time has gone on, they were a really, yes. really good team. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I was about to say. Like, they aren't going to show up in like my top 25 tag teams of all time. No. But it's going to be one that like makes my short list because of how. Like, they didn't have bad matches. Like, even some of the stuff they did in Mexico was a lot of fun. Okay, did you, did you ever catch Forever Hooligans in Mexico? I can't say I did. Yeah, no. It was, like, the same thing. And, I mean, this... You look at, like, what the Bucks were doing over this. Like, other things that they that they had, that's kind of interesting. Let, let me uh, throw this match on you that they had in New York City as well. This During this time. Or before before the uh the Bushido, Bushido car show right oh no fearless fearless 2013 is this a, is this a card from november 15th no this is a card from october 12th oh okay please i i thought you were gonna steal one of my talking points but go ahead give me this one all right so this is a three-way tag team elimination match i think i need to make sure that this person is who i think this is before i make this point okay yeah that is who i think this is all right so this is a fwe tag team three-way elimination match EJ, Risk, and VSK, as recently seen on AEW Dark, defeat the Young Bucks and Bandito Jr., not the Bandito that everyone knows of now, but there's someone else who's wrestling as Bandito Jr., and Trent Beretta, the guy who now, who was Bandito Jr. at this point, now currently is a referee for WWE, Eddie Orengo. I was trying to pronounce the name right, Orengo. So, really wild thing. When I first saw Bandito Jr., my eyebrow was raised so I was like was Bandito in America he was in America at this point but no it was a different one so I apologize I thought that was gonna be more interesting than it was well I've got a I've got a pretty interesting Young Bucks match for you in just a second but yeah they were working FWE a lot they were working 2CW a lot on the east coast and I guess for any of our fans that are newer to independent wrestling 2CW was like a real thing for a while where they were booking AJ Styles and Kevin Steen and the Young Bucks. They famously booked a show titled, We Only Booked This Show Because This Is The Only Day The Young Bucks Were Available, which uh, if for some reason people aren't considering voting for the Bucks on the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame ballot when it's released this fall when they're on the ballot, literally that show is as much evidence as I need that they were ever a draw Obviously, they have tons of other evidence, but that was a huge factor for me. Uh, so the Bucks were working a lot on the Northeast at this time. But back in Japan, they win the Best of the Super Juniors Tag Tournament. And then they take that momentum into Power Struggle 2013 on a show that was headlined by, check out these last four matches, Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Tomohiro Ishii in a rematch of their G1 Classic. Never open weight title match, Tetsuya Naito defeats Masato Tanaka. IWGP IC title, Shinsuke Nakamura defeats Minoru Suzuki. And main event, 
your IWGP heavyweight title match where Kazuchika Okada defeats Carl Anderson. But the relevant part of this is that the opening match was the Young Bucks winning the IWGP junior heavyweight tag titles against Taichi and Takamichinoko. Yep. So this is starts the hottest period of a tag team in North American history, I would say. <laughs> and they're, they're the New Japan Junior Tag Champs and... Although Dragon Gate USA, as as we will especially come to find out on this show, is not exactly uh, with harm- uh, harmonizing with Dragon Gate Japan at this point, there's a lot of interesting political minefields and landmines that they had to navigate here, and they end up beating Taichi and Taka in a match that I had no memory of, but I rewatched it this weekend. It's a nine-minute match on New Japan World, and oh my god, this match is ridiculous. I went four stars on it. I think Dave had it at like three in the Observer when I read his review, and Dave severely underrated this because it is balls to the walls for nine minutes. It's a crazy match that I highly recommend people go back and rewatch. Absolutely. It is something that I like that Taka and Taichi team. I like the fact they had their own produce shows, and it was kind of wild. I thought it was all really just kind of cool stuff there. But yeah, it. The political implications, they actually talk about this in the book. They pretty much were told as soon as they agreed to do Ring of Honor stuff that they would never come back to Dragon Gate. Like, that was it. So, real awkward. I mean, inarguably, they made the right decision for them. And I think for wrestling in North America, them going to New Japan is one of the reasons why elite wrestling exists. So, interesting. Like, ramifications. There's a lot of political ramifications that we'll be talking about over the next six weeks. You know, Bill Simmons in his book of basketball has a whole giant chapter dedicated to what ifs of NBA history. And I I really like that stuff. I I really am into like alternate universe, almost butterfly effect type scenarios. And I really do think one of the bigger ones that you could point to when it comes to the 2010s wrestling landscape is what if DDT has the money to fly both of the Young Bucks in? which was something that was on the table, something they've talked about how Generico was trying to get them over to DDT, but at the time, they could only afford one plane ticket, and that's not going to work when you have an act that is two guys. And, I mean, it's, the, the wrestling world is just different if that happens. Yeah, and they were already friends with Kane Omega at that point. Yeah, that's, So, like, yes, they had multiple exactly. ways in to DDT. But, like, that is, like, one of the biggest things is that they could have gone back to Dragon Gate, but... You know, them as a Gaijin tag act in Dragon Gate, there is a ceiling there. And, of course, like, relevance to the West at that time, not the best decision. Even though Dragon Gate in Japan was still doing great business-wise, it just made sense. And the DET one's real interesting, too, because just imagine what could have happened over the next seven years out of that. Again, I, I I think everything we know is entirely different if that happens. Our final note on the Young Bucks, before we move on to a different topic, is from November 15th, the night before the show we're about to talk about, House of Glory ran a show. And Mike, yeah, I'm gonna, hog I, hours, hog <laughs> hours. <laughs> I'm going to run down this card from the main event to the opener, at least the relevant stuff, because... There is some fascinating stuff on this show. Hog is running a tag team title tournament that the Young Bucks win in the main event over Homicide and Hernandez. That match, even considering 2013 Homicide and Hernandez, sounds very interesting. You look at how they got there, the semifinals. 
LAX defeats Fire Ant and Jigsaw, and the Young Bucks defeat Mikey Whipwreck and the Amazing Red. I want to see both of those matches. If that wasn't enough, first round matches, LAX defeats Ricky Reyes and Anthony Nice, which I am all about. I can't imagine what Ricky Reyes looked like in 2013. And the other match, the reason I bring this up, if you want to mirror it to 2021, is that the Bucks wrestled in the opening match a guy named Smiley and a guy by the name of Mark Quinn. Well, for one, I'm going to ask you to put some respect on Smiley's name. He kind of is like the insane icon of Hog. I, I, I'm unfamiliar with all of the Hog lore that's out there. Oh, I mean, you, you know me, I'm a big hog head. So, like Mark went here. <laughs> the, the match that immediately kind of went off my, went off my page here, I'm going to hunt down this show because this show right? looks like a blast. This looks incredible. LAX versus Fire Ant and Jigsaw? I'm looking at the semi-main event non-tournament match. Anthony <laughs> Gagoni versus and, T- and Takaki Watanabe defeating Brian XL and Sumi Sakai. Like, that is some real, like, we booked Shankiba and we need to fill this thing out here. Who is available here? Okay, we're going to have pre-evil Watanabe, Anthony Gagoni, who is just kind of there, then Brian XL and Sumi Sakai. We literally don't have time for me to get into my thoughts on Watanabe. Brian XL? <laughs> yeah. well, we're about to talk about Brian XL, I swear to God. Um, we don't have time to talk about my thoughts on Evil's Excursion. I have a ton of thoughts on it. It is something that I remember very, very well. <laughs> and we'll likely find a way to shoehorn into the show during one of our final five episodes. But we don't have time for it right now. We have to move on to Evolve 23, which happened at the Guzman Sports Lounge in Ridgewood, New York. This is the only time that Gabe ever ran this building to my knowledge and on this show is matt jackson of the young bucks but not nick jackson as nick was at home for the birth of his first child so we kick off the show with the young bucks tag team invitational tournament where the gentlemen's club defeated dos bendojos uh caleb conley defeated matt jackson in a singles match a really rare matt jackson singles match also on the show, the Bravados win against the J- uh, Jigsaw and the Shard in another Young Bucks Invitational Tag Team match. Brian XL, Mike. Brian XL yeah. defeats Earl Cooter in a singles match that the one review of this show I could find. Dave never mentions that these shows happen in The Observer. There are The only thing that I can find about Evolve 23 and Evolve 24 is a YouTube package hyping up, or I guess highlighting rather, what went down at Evolve 24, which we'll talk about in just a second. There is a PW Ponderings live report, and then a friend of the show, Sean Cedor, on his old wrestling review blog, has reviews of these shows. Other than that, I think this is like the true low point for Evolve, because I remember wanting to check these shows out, because again, like I'm into the Gabe universe at this point, but literally, there was no buzz whatsoever about these shows. So we have Brian XL defeating Earl Cooter, and then, Mike, the reason we're all here, it's Style Battle 2013, okay? Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. <laughs> dun, 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 
dun, dun, dun. I don't know why I thought the WWE Hall of Fame music made sense there, but that's where my brain went to. Well, you know, in a way, style battle deserves its own place in the WWE Hall of Fame. We had two four-way matches, Drew Gulak winning over Lindsay Dorado, Mr. Touchdown, and Shane Strickland, and then Biff Busick defeating Green Ant, Josh Alexander, and Maxwell Chicago. And then to close out this card, Rich Swan and Ricochet defeated Johnny Gargano and Trent, and A.R. Fox retained the Evolve title over Anthony Nice. Mike, do you have any recollection of this show? I mean, I didn't know that this show happened up until five minutes ago. <laughs> I, so. I think most people are learning about this show for the first time now. Interesting, though, that for as much of a big deal... Uh, the AR Fox Anthony Nice match was set up at the anniversary show. They immediately burnt it in Ridgewood, New York, at the Guzman Sports Lounge. I, I I can't find it in writing. I think Gabe's idea for the Evolve title was not quite like a twenty four seven title, but just this idea that like, hey, anything can happen. Like this belt isn't like other belts because he was really grasping at straws. And I think we saw that with the Trent matches, plural on the anniversary show. So yeah, they, they rush right into the Anthony Nice match and Anthony Nice takes a loss. And that leads us to evolve 24 the next night, September 22nd, 2013 from the Brooklyn Lyceum, a building. Uh. We'll be talking about a lot more next week as Dragon USA lands uh. there for the first time. Uh. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm growling at a venue <laughs> case, but uh. Well, we kick things off with a four-way match where Lince Dorado defeats Green Ant, Mr. Touchdown, and Mike Rollins, who... Psycho Mike. Psycho Mike, who the prior night Larry Dallas aligned with as the new member of the scene, but we never see Psycho Mike again. He only works these two Evolve shows, and then he goes well, on... Well, we his... never saw Brian Cage either. Exactly. Exactly. So, Larry, I, I know you're listening to this. What was your negotiation game like in 2013? Come on, man. <laughs> After that, Shane Strickland defeats Matt Jackson in a singles match. Sue Young defeats Eva Lise in a shine offer match. And then we have Anthony Nice versus Josh Alexander, where Nice picks up the win. Trent defeating Maxwell Chicago, and then Trent defeating Caleb Conley. So another night where Trent has to wrestle more than one match. Very <laughs> strange booking. And then finally, the Young Bucks Invitational for uh, the Young Bucks Invitational concludes with a four-way match where the Bravado Brothers, big name here, the Bravado Brothers defeat the Gentlemen's Club, Dos Bendojos, and Jigsaw in the Shard. And that leads us to our final three matches on this show, which, given the state of Evolve in 2013, these are some good-looking matches with 2021 eyes. We have the Style Battle 2013 Tournament Finals, where Drew Gulak defeats Biff Busick. We have the Open the Freedom Gate title match, where Johnny Gargano defeats Rich Swan. In that match, the ring breaks, and that leads us to an Evolution's End kind of slash Falls Count Anywhere match between AR Fox and Ricochet in a totally broken and destroyed ring. I mean, this actually fits in with the theme of Evolution's End. How can you pen someone inside the ring in an Evolution Rings Rules match or Evolution Ends match when the ring is broken? Like, this is the end of the Evolution's End, if you ask me. Like, you can't evolve past this. And it's like they opened their third eye just for this gimmick match. Wait, Matt Seidel wasn't on this show, though. <laughs> no, he would show up and evolve the next year. I'm so bummed he missed out on Dragon USA. I would have liked to have reviewed some Matt Seidel matches. But anyways, that is what's going on in Evolve 
We now will transition to a lengthy newswire portion of the show. I shouldn't say lengthy. Please keep listening to the podcast. That was a bad way to sell this segment. But <laughs> uh, we now have a bunch of newswire stuff. We went through a newswire drought for a little bit. It was kind of our favorite thing in the first probably quarter of this show was going through Gabe's newswires. And then what happened was on the web archive, oh, the, the web archive that I was pulling them from, the Dragon USA site was updated. They no longer stored the newswires directly onto the website and they didn't save the external link where the newswires were located. So for a while, it was really hard for me to scrape this stuff together. But now I have the newswires saved in my email from when they were sent to me in 2013. And Mike, I need to let you know that on September 27th, Gabe Sapolsky announced that they were pleased to finally release the Drangate USA Enter the Dragon 3rd Anniversary DVD. This is why we kept track, guys. This is why I constantly said while they were advertising this DVD here. Because, yeah, over... 15 months. And if, 15 you were, months. if you were wondering why we suddenly stopped talking about it, it's because they were no longer releasing DVDs. They were no longer having any interstitials on DGUSA shows, too. Embarrassing. It's, it's, it's really, really bad. <sighs> yeah, so that DVD is ne- was on sale. I hope you bought it before they took down the site and took away everyone's access to the things they bought, Case. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, we're going to move on because it's a topic that annoys both Mike and I to a tremendous extent. On October 23rd, Gabe says, We are very excited to announce that both Masaki Mochizuki and Jimmy Susumu will make their returns to the East Coast for the first time in over two years. These two hard hitters add to an incredible talent roster, which includes the popular Genki Horiguchi. So our Japanese talent signed for the show, Mochizuki, Susumu, and Horiguchi. Mike, were you aware, and I will foreshadow a little bit, were you aware that Horiguchi was initially booked for the show? I was aware at the time. I completely forgot he was when I was watching the show. Yes. But I remember what happened. Stuff happens. So we move on to an announcement on November 1st, where Gabe announces that Johnny Gargano versus Jimmy Susumu will be signed for this show, which became Fearless 2013. If you remember, Mike, at Open the Golden Gate 2013, Susumu pinned Gargano in a tag match. You questioned it. You said it was bad booking. I said, let's hold off a little bit. Let's see what is going to happen in the near future. Sure enough, Gargano versus Susumu is booked on November 1st. Hey, I... You know, it's something that I would have completely gone without remembering that that happened. <laughs> One, that that podcast so many weeks ago. But two, all right, Gabe, good on you. Good on you. We're, we're doing some compliment sandwiches here because we're about to really get into to some shit sandwich parts here. But the bread's nice. Like, your thought there made sense. So November 6th. We get the full card for Fearless 2013. And Mike, pay attention closely because there's a lot of names here and a lot of matches that will never end up taking place. We'll work from the bottom up. As okay. the, the original card here is John Davis versus Stephen Walters, Caleb Conley versus Mr. Touchdown, Ricochet versus Biff Busick, Trent Beretta versus Chuck Taylor. That stays the same. Evolve four-way match for the title. A.R. Fox versus Shane Strickland versus Andrew Everett versus Fire Ant. Masaki Mochizuki versus Anthony Nice. And then your three main events. Open the Brave Gate title match. Genki Horiguchi defending against Rich Swan. 
open the United Gate title match with the Bucks defending against the Barato brothers and open the Freedom Gate title match, Johnny Gargano versus Jimmy Susumo. Mike, those, those matches do not happen for the most part. No, no. These matches do not happen. And I'll be fair here. On paper, given what's all going on here, that's a strong DGUSA card. I mean, the fact that Japan is sending over a champion to do a defense in the States, that is a big thing, especially for someone like Ritzwan. You know, like that's a big thing considering his status in the company. So, you know, like good on you again, Gabe. You had, you had good attentions here. I, I'm not doubting your, your, your thought process here. Everything there. I mean, that's a solid card. Yes, and then things drastically change as we get an announcement that we'll dive into much deeper next week, but it's worth mentioning this week as it changes up these shows. November 11th, Brooklyn, New York, Gabe announces, or Gabe gives a press release. Drangit USA has come to terms with Chris Hero to wrestle on the Drangit USA live eye pay-per-view this Sunday from Brooklyn, New York. His opponent will be decided shortly, and then the announcement two days later that Gabe says... Originally, Jimmy Susumu was set to challenge Open the Freedom Gate champion Johnny Gargano this Saturday in Queens, New York. Now Susumu will receive his title match at a later date. As a result, the card has been changed. It will now be Johnny Gargano versus Masaki Mochizuki in a non-title match in Anthony Nice versus Jimmy Susumu this Saturday in Queens. Well, yeah, those two matches happened. so i think something to keep an eye on as we move forward with this show as we go into our final few episodes is gabe talking about how he's saving matches for later and we get one here with gargano versus susumu when i hate to burst people's bubble but that match never happens yeah and the big thing here about this is geeky horiguchi is not on this card and i feel like case that Gabe's going to let us know what's, but what happened there. Uh, November 16th, as a matter of fact, Gabe says, we regret to inform you that Genki Horiguchi will not be at the Drangit USA events this weekend due to travel issues. This has caused, caused the cars to be reshuffled for tonight in Queens and tomorrow in Brooklyn. So let's get to it. And then we see the Rich Swan versus Genki Horiguchi and Ricochet versus Biff Busick matches altered as Gabe now books Ricochet versus Rich Swan. And Gabe says, we were saving this for down the line, but in an effort to give you the best possible replacement for Horiguchi, we will present this fresh match tonight live on iPay-Per-View. So not only was Gabe trying to save Gargano versus Susumu, he was trying to save Ricochet versus Rich Swan, and now he is pulling the trigger on Swan versus Ricochet. And Gabe also says, in an effort to build up the tag team scene, we will try out two new duos tonight. It will be Caleb Conley and Andrew Everett versus Biff Busick and Steven Walters. Gabe says there is a lot of potential there. And then also, as it pertains to the Evolve Fatal 4-Way match, Mr. Touchdown will take Andrew Everett's place in the 4-Way freestyle. The match is now Fox versus Strickland versus Fire Ant versus Mr. Touchdown. So all of those changes lead us to Fearless 2013, a show without Genki Horiguchi. Yeah, and I miss Genki on the show now that I knew that he was going to be here. and supposed to have a Brave Gate match case. <laughs> Man. Oh, that's a bummer. Him and Wish Swan in 2013 in a Brave Gate match? I'm here for that. Would have been great. Would have been great. So let's get into the show. As Case said, this is Fearless 2013 from the Elks Lodge in Queens, New York on November 16th, 2013. We open the show with John Davis defeating Earl Cooter with three seconds around the world. 
and we kind of start this show off on a troublesome note because you could hear Lenny, bless his heart, say, is this mic on? Is this mic working? Something that's going to be happening all throughout the show. Yeah, so the match goes, I you know, maybe one minute. I mean, Davis just completely destroys Earl, Co- uh, Earl Cooter, which as it turns out, Davis was on the right side of history, and Earl Cooter deserved this ass-kicking. But Scumbag. Once the match happens, once the match finishes, rather, Lenny goes to announce the winner and his mic is pure static, and it won't work, and he can't get through the announcement, and then you can hear him off mic saying, what's the deal with this? What's the problem? And it's, you know, we've come a long way from backstage inserts of Lenny Leonard and Shakara Sun breaking down the card for tonight, and those weren't exactly feats of production. Those were matters of effort. And now we've got Lenny Leonard, who was doing the ring announcing duty and live commentary, and technical issues are preventing him from doing both at the same time. Yeah, I mean, as a production professional, I really feel for Lenny in this show. This happens a lot, and really, I mean, the onus kind of goes to everyone in general. I mean, Lenny should have a microphone that works. You should probably have someone else doing ring announcing so your commentator doesn't have to stand up, give the ring announcement, make sure the mics were all like that the mic's dead when it's off so you're not getting feedback through the PA system and also so that you're not getting things so you can say things loud enough it's picked up on your headset mic. So you put him in a bad situation here and you probably like given where this is in an Elks Lodge, do you not do they not have another PA microphone? Like just like we, we've we've talked before about like technical snafus like this, but this is one of care, right? It, it's just it's so embarrassing, and you got to put yourself in the position of the Drangate office at the time. Think about what you were promised, which obviously was going to alter in some way, shape, or form. But this idea of doing four to six super cards a year with pristine production and these true, I guess for lack of a better term, big fight atmosphere. And, you know, I don't really think that was ever going to be what Gabe did. I don't think the Drangate UK right. version, where I, I think we talked about this off air, I referenced it like we said it on the show, but we were talking off air a few days ago about how Drangate UK was really everything that Drangate USA promised to be. They fit the the time frame of doing a few shows a year, if not just one or two shows a year, with excellent production, excellent commentary. They mirrored so many things that were authentic to the product in Japan that Gabe always, always ignored. Drangate UK took those things and embraced them. So if you're the Japanese office and you're watching the show, whether they flew over with Mochizuki and Susumu or they were just watching it back on tape, and you hear the microphone feedback. And again, it's not a dig at Lenny. It's not his fault. He's not the IT guy here. It, it's just so embarrassing. I just, I, I, I hate that this is what the promotion has come to. No. And it's something where, like, you talk about The Office here. They were using this content to fill out episodes of Infinity at this time. Were they still like doing we, it at this point? They, through the first few years, they were putting the pay-per-views on TV, on TV in Japan as episodes of infinity. So this wasn't just like a pure talent exchange. Like this was content for their TV partners and case. We both know this, but for like newfound listeners, Dragon Gate's relationship with Gayora is approaching 22 years at this point <laughs> at a time. It, there was a belief 
that Gaora owned some of Dragon Gate, but that's not the case. It's a cooperative company. Uh, you completely, like, when you hand someone like this footage, like, you can't be proud of the footage, one. And two, you're sending all these wrestlers to, to America for this kind of stuff to scout things out, and the scouting's gone great. Like, unequivocally, Dragon Gate USA was unequivocal success about bringing in a generation of Gaijin to Dragon Gate. That's, there's no argument there. However, this side of the deal, yeah, I, I totally understand how things kind of went at the end, at least from their side. Yeah, that I, I I would like to figure out, and I can I can try to have this for next week as to when Gaiora stopped using Dragon Gate USA footage because I know they're using it through 2010, but right. I don't I don't think they continue it past the first anniversary show or something. I unless I miss something, I don't think anything from the 2010 Chicago show with Danielson Yamato. I don't think anything from that onwards ever aired on Japanese TV could be wrong, but that's my recollection. I want to say like, I remember bumpers well, the, that, yes, they would and have. that that could have been a possibility. And I, I don't, I don't think we have a database of bumpers that date back that far, but I can do some digging, but yeah, I mean, Oh God, if you had to put this on any sort of Japanese TV at the time, I, you know, I would have pulled the plug sooner. That would have been humiliating for me if I was on the Japanese side of things. So it's just, it's very frustrating because a lot of this stuff, I think, trickles down to effort. And I've said before on this show, you can very easily tell when Gabe is really invested with a product like a 2004 to 2006 Ring of Honor, a, I would say, 2009 Dragon USA or a 2016 Evolve. And you can tell when he's a little bit checked out. And in 2013 Dragon USA... Gabe is a little checked out. Yeah, yeah, I think that's all fair to say. Yeah, I, I just seem to remember like seeing the Miami shows appearing on a bumper, but it also could be the fact. It also could be the fact that you had Tozawa versus Mochizuki there. That yes, that a uh, Japanese versus Japanese matchup. There is probably a better chance of that airing. So I will, I will try to get to the bottom of that. Interesting. Yeah, no, because that's something that I'm also wondering too. I have to look. I'll look back through my stuff. You'll look back too. Uh, your stuff will come together and we'll figure out when they stopped airing DGUSA stuff in Japan. I know our listeners are waiting with bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'd be waiting for bated breath with the next match. This is the tag team tryout match. Caleb Conley and Andrew Everett defeating Biff Busick and Stephen Walters. It was a Caleb Conley pin after Everett hit the shooting star press on Stephen Walters before the match. Larry Dallas. And Trina Michaels try to make peace with Cale Conley yet again. Yeah, this was all fine and dandy. Larry Dallas's execution here was was good enough. But let's not bear the lead, Mike. This Stephen yeah. Walters fellow, I, I think listeners might be a little bit more familiar with him than they realize. Yes. So I, I what I'm going to do here, Case, is I have his cage match profile pulled up. I'm going to name some places of which that Stephen Walters has wrestled before people would have heard from him under a much more well-known name he was he faced off against dragon system alum takuya sugawara at cork and hall for the zero one international junior heavyweight and zero one world junior heavyweight title stephen walters did stephen walters has done appearances for promotions such as preston city wrestling pro wrestling experience and cwa mid-atlantic cwf mid-atlantic he has been all across the world however in 2013 
Stephen Walters was not the wrestler we would know him as. Case, who would Stephen Walters become? Stephen Walters would become a man by the name of first Dash Wilder and now Cash Wheeler. That's right, FTR hair. <laughs> so it's Biff Music and FTR hair against Caleb Conley and Andrew Everett in a match that I thought was totally awesome. I don't know where Mike stands on it, but I love this match. I thought that for its position, three and a quarter stars, this was a whole lot of fun. It was an overachieving three and a quarter star match because I, I think this is something that we should probably compile once we finish this series, but I, Gabe ran so many tag team invitationals, new tag teams, breakout tag team challenges that I just feel like every show we're talking about some new tag team gimmick that Gabe is doing, but realistically... Biff and Walters and Everett and Conley could have been long-term tag teams in this promotion. Everett and Conley were pimped in the Observer that talked about this show as who Gabe wanted to be the future of the tag team division. And after this weekend, they never team again, which I never understood why, because they had such good chemistry with one another. I, there's a lot to like in this match. I, you know, Walters is there. He's pretty unimpressive. But you can tell even from this point in November of 2013 that Biff Busick is a guy with an immense amount of talent. And he and Andrew Everett, who I, you know, Everett, we can talk about more, I think, next week. Yeah. A very, a very flawed worker. And I think that's shown kind of as his career progress has you know, for all intents and purposes, been halted time after time after time. But Andrew Everett and Biff Busick have excellent chemistry with one another, and that was on display here as Everett went for some crazy springboard, and Biff just uppercutted this guy out of the sky at one point. Uh, at one point, Walters hits an awesome lariat on Andrew Everett. They're working stiff. They're working snug. Steven Walters, had he stuck around, would have been perfect for the grapple fuck evolve style that they were slowly starting to transition into. And then in the end, the baby faces Everett and Conley get the win. And it's just it's a nice match. Biff really could have hung and drank at USA had this promotion continued past the spring of 2014. Oh yeah, he could have had matches against the Japanese talent. Do you think Masaki Mochizuki would be down on wrestling a guy like Biff Busick. I think it would be like, great. Susumu Yokosuka. Like, another great match there. Uh, just the other person who's supposed to be on the show. Ginky Horiguchi versus Biff Busick. Like, milking, like, the kickout moments there. That would have been tremendous. You know they're throwing I, an uppercut into the backside from heaven there. Exactly. I just, well, we just booked the, the finishing sequence there. Or a falsy there. I mean, Biff Busick versus Shima... That might have been something different. <laughs> <laughs> I would but like yeah, to see no, that, but, but I would like to see that the same way I'd like to see a uh, car crash. Yeah, yeah. So it worked here. And I think this was actually my favorite Conley performance in the promotion to date. Like, I feel like that everything with like this Everett team, it was flawed, but it was a lot of fun. And, you know, throwing these four guys together on a moment's notice practically worked out and it overachieved. Mike, I told you when he showed up in Indianapolis... Caleb Conley gets good eventually, and having watched all of the scene matches, it's not a dig at him or Scott Reed, but I really think they were wrong for each other because they started showing so much more potential as soon as they stopped t 
teaming with one another. This is around the point where I really thought watching live as a fan, and again, at this point, I'm fully connected to Ring of Honor, PWG, Dragon USA, and Evolve, uh, beyond. I'm starting to pay attention to AIW and AAW. Like I, This is where I am in on independent wrestling. And around this time, I really thought Caleb Conley was going to be one of the next guys to watch in the scene. Yeah, For, yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, it's just something that it's like a good role. It's a more natural role for him. And like the Everett, you had like the Carolina connection going there. Like you could have had mileage out of this team if that so happened. Like the, there was some, this was a, a moment where I'm not like, okay, Caleb Conley's there. He's fine. This was, was like, no, this is like a great role for Caleb Conley here. Yeah, he, like I said, I knew he was going to get good eventually, and this is really where he turns the corner, changes his look, he looks much better, he's put on some muscle at this point. I, I, I really like this era of him, and I'm glad he sort of landed something with this Caleb with the K gimmick and impact, because I thought for a long time he was underachieving, given how talented I thought he was. Yeah, I can't tell you the amount of just random shows around here for like the last like five years, I would randomly see Caleb Conley versus someone. So it's, you, you know, it, it's something that he has an interesting history. I'm glad that it seems like the impact role works pretty well for him and that works out there. So that's cool. Uh, we talked about a match coming together and a guy coming together like Caleb Conley. However, I don't think this next match came, had two guys who came together yet as it was Trent defeating Chuck Taylor with a crunchy and... I didn't care for this match at all, Case. Did, did, am I off base thinking that these guys did not develop any of the chemistry that they would later have at this match? No, there is nothing here. I, this is a really long comedy match that unfortunately isn't that funny, and I, I'm someone that buys into a lot of their act. I remember this being a drag. This unfortunately just wasn't any good. And on a weirdly historical note, this is really the last match that these guys have where they're not directly associated with one another. We'll talk about PWG a lot next week because I think this is around the time that PWG becomes really important. A month before the show, they teamed together at PWG. They did Trent and Chuck Taylor against AR Fox and Rich Swan, which unsurprisingly, an excellent match. But after this, you know, Trent wrestles a few times. He has an FIP match. He does some FWE stuff. And then in December of 2013, Taylor and Trent are back teaming, and that is when they develop the best friends as we now know them. So it's weird to think that at this point in time, they're not Chuck and Trent as they have been for close to a decade at this point. And this is probably the last match we have on tape that is somewhat readily available of this pre-best friends universe. It's unfortunate that the match is... Uh, pretty bad yeah it's a uh, one and three quarters it goes on forever i don't even have a match time but they do comedy stuff they base like the first five minutes into this match around a tinkerbell balloon that they tie and they just do more like jokey stuff they eventually kind of got into it but it's just not good it's just not a good match and you look at those card and i i and well you know what else I'll, I'll say this take because i think it I think it plays into something more later on in the show. So I, I will revoke this take and then bring it up later on. That's fair. That's fair. Then we get to the Evolve freestyle four-way match. Air Fox defending against Fire Ant, Mr. Touchdown, Mark Angelosetti, 
and Shane Strickland. The fall of this match was AR Fox making another defense with a low main pain on Fire Ant. So this rocked. Uh, I loved, loved Mr. Touchdown at this time period. I thought that gimmick was awesome. I thought he played it perfectly. It was just the right amount of silly and the right amount of intensity. He's another guy that I just... I, you know, He's a loss. I, yeah, it it sucks. I hate that he got trapped in that Chikara void because it seemed like he was going to pop into the Gabe universe. And I, I remember thinking at the time, you know, he'd be used and evolve and, and, and would have worked there. And I think at the time he would have fit the working standard. It's just, it's, it's a bummer that he never was able to escape the web that is Mike Quackenbush but this match is awesome. You have Fire Ant doing crazy stuff. You have Touchdown playing his gimmick perfectly. Shane Strickland, who we've been super critical of, he messed up an electric chair in this match. But other than that, I thought he was very, very acceptable. And you have AR Fox in this really interesting role. Because if you want to flash back to 2011 and open the Southern Gate... There is a four-way match on that show that is A.R. Fox, Facade, Shima Zion, and Eric Cannon. And the glue of that match was not the high-flying A.R. Fox or Shima Zion. It certainly was not Facade. It was the veteran Eric Cannon. And you flash forward three years, two years actually, just two years, and A.R. Fox is the veteran and the glue of this match. He's, you know, keeping things in line with Strickland. He's making sure touchdown is in the right spot. He's giving fire ant the shine. It is, I guess, rewarding in a sense when you watch these shows week after week after week and you get to see this progression happen at an exponential rate rather than just slowly over time. To see A.R. Fox take this step in his career after seeing where he was WrestleMania week in 2011, I thought was particularly interesting. I went three and three quarters on this match. Okay, so you're a little higher. Us three and a half stars, but A.R. Fox now becoming the veteran is revelation. Like, it was awesome. Like, seeing him finally... And we saw it with Ricochet finally become the vet. Now we have A.R. Fox as the vet. And you're right. He kind of is the conductor of this match. I'm still a little bit more down on Shane Strickland. I felt like that he didn't live up to the working standard of the other three guys. And I think... But I feel like that he was fine here. It just was Fire Ant hitting all the good Fire Ant stuff. Mr. Touchdown. Like, it's such a frustrating thing because that's a that's kind of a little bit of a goofy gimmick that can age, you know? Like, th- there's constantly more football memes he could be doing, you know? I oh, mean, last such year, a great act. It's a great act. I mean, he had total command of it. It was a total good bit. You buy him as a football player, especially when he compared to the rest of Jakar at that time and the body types there. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's a <laughs> difference between Mr. Touchdown and the rest of the uh, typical Chikara wrestlers. That's all I'm saying. And he could work. And we never really got to see Mr. Touchdown outside of the Quackenverse, for lack of a better word. And it's a shame because I feel like he could have had something. And he's out of wrestling at this point. Yeah, he had a really good match at WrestleMania weekend a few years ago. I actually went out of my way to watch a Chikara show just because of him. But he was a focal point in this match. I I, I thought what he did added a lot because he added a layer that... Between the flippiness of Fire Ant Fox and Strickland, Touchdown being sort of just that over-the-top heel was needed to add a layer 
to this four-way and added a new dynamic to it, and I thought he did that incredibly well. And then Fox ends up hitting the low main pain on Fire Ant for the win. Just a super fun, sprinty, spotty four-way that, to me, although it probably didn't fit the Evolve uh, just ideology that Gabe was looking for, it was a super fun match. Yeah, yeah, no, this, this was this was a lot of fun. And then we had, and we went straight into another really fun match. I mean, that's the thing about these shows. We talked about how there's no interstitials. Everything happens in front of the, the crowd at this point. Rich Swan versus Ricochet. I wrote down because I didn't know why it was a late substitution for Kinky Horiguchi because my memory is bad case. <laughs> because I, because we've talked about this before. My brain I use for really dumb reasons. Not remembering why something happened on a DGUSA card probably is susceptible at this point. But Ricochet got the win with the 630 splash and what I thought was by far the match of the night. Wow. Okay, we are on two different pages on this match. I was not a fan of this at all. I just, I really love Dickishvet Ricochet. We've talked about this before that, like, I like, I feel like that should have been the progression of Ricochet and not just cringe Ricochet that we have now, but the idea of Ricochet just being an asshole. Actually, I felt like had a lot of mileage and I felt like that Swan had one of the best matches of his career here. I feel like that he played the role as like the young, as like the young person in the tag team going, going up against like the much more successful other member of the tag team here ricochet being on the road to him and gargano that's the big match and i thought like the shooting star press and the deadlift regal was insane like i i, I dug this a whole lot i went four and a quarter stars on it what didn't work holy for you holy cow okay yeah i mean we're on totally different planes here i i thought ricochet was dipping his toes into being that dickish vet but it was kind of like if he was doing it on a house show. I never really thought he committed to it. I have this match described in my notes as a heatless void. I just thought it went on and on and on and never progressed anywhere. And it's weird to think that Horiguchi missing out on the show actually probably turned into some good booking. If you remember the comment Ricochet made at the anniversary show where he put down Swan as, you know, Ricochet being like, ah, I guess I can't win the titles with this guy. Like he's always dragging me down. So they played off of that dynamic, but I, I just thought this was a rare miss where neither guy connected with me at all. I'm at two and three quarters. Maybe I superimposed it. My, my belief of, hey, this is what the storyline should be. And maybe I implanted that or imprinted that on my brain about this match. Because I, I, I could see how this match goes that way for you. Well, my, my take was going to be the one that I stopped myself from giving is you look at this card on paper and you think, well, you know, maybe that four way is going to be spotty and just kind of like another indie match. And who cares about a Biff Busick undercard tag against Everett and Conley? I know what will deliver, though. It'll be Trent versus Chuck and it'll be Swan versus Ricochet. And... Uh, for me, it was the opposite. Like I, I felt like the the almost unknowns on this show had a much better night than the indie superstars. You know, I I, I see where I come from with that. Like, it, it's something that maybe I was just so intrigued by how Ricochet is evolving and how they're doing this build or Gargano at this point that maybe I'm imposing my own views on my own wishing about how I feel like this feud should go on that, but. Yeah, like, the the crowd here is not great the entire show. Like, there's one moment, especially in the main event, I'll point out later. But, yeah, like, it's, this is an interesting show because I had a feeling, like, I came into the show thinking it was an absolute mess, but there was some gold here. And, 
you know, I totally understand how it came off differently to you. Yeah, that is as big of a difference as I think we've had during this series. But stand by your convictions. I, I, I'm glad that we're not seeing eye to eye on this one. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think that maybe, Ricochet, you turn it up to 11 and just be the dick all throughout the match. And maybe we kind of meet in the middle somewhere there. Uh, Ricochet called out Gargano and said that he was coming from him. So continuing that build. And then we went into Anthony Nice alongside his director of branding. Mr. A and his secretary Sue Young versus Jimmy Susumu. Nice defeated Susumu clean as a sheet for with a 450 splash. Once again, Anthony Nice looked really good. I think this lacked the excitement and the overall peak that the Akira Tozawa match had from Bushido Code of the Warrior. Uh, this was not close to being on that level, but also. I I am just so impressed with Nice around this time period. I don't remember liking him as much as I am on this rewatch, where I just think in in a promotion where it's probably unfair to label it as a shindy, but I think a lot of guys come across as as minor league. The whole premier athlete package at this point is a major league presentation for me. It's interesting. Um, this was a match that was really reliant on on Anthony Nice looking like a god in the finish and the crowd reacting to it, right? Yeah. Because the story is Susumu grounds him. He does. They do power wrestling. He's very grounded. And Susumu just looks... It, he has his working shoes on. When Susumu wants to, and it's he wants to a lot, he, he likes... It seems like he likes working with younger talent and getting them over. And, like, that was the way that this was building up to. But the crowd and everything around the presentation of everything... I don't think you can count on that God performance from Nice coming across right. And that was my issue with this match. Like, on paper, three and a half stars. Solid match. Did exactly what it needed to do. Nice looks like his presentation is major league, as you said. But, like, you have this, like, right now, where we are in 2013, in an Elks Lodge with a bad microphone, with a ring that last time they were in here, they did not, like, they weren't even caring too much about the aprons here in front of like 110 fans maybe and it's like how does is this something that makes someone looks like a god no and it's not a problem with the match itself it's a problem with the environment I, I do think at least compared to the stuff that we had seen on this show before this the crowd was was getting into this i don't think they they really got there it's weird yeah this is the same building they ran through bushido and i feel like that bushido crowd was awesome and i feel like they were treated to a really good show and they do not return the favor on Fearless 2013. And it's like an entirely different group of people that are not into what they're seeing in the slightest. But yeah, I mean, I'm at, I'm at three and a quarter for this. I didn't think it was anything special, but Nice in particular, I'm very impressed with the work he's doing. I don't remember him being this consistently good really during any point in his indie career, but ever since he showed up at Mania Weekend, he's been doing it for me. Yeah. It, it, it's something where he comes across as like the up and coming star in this promotion, even with all the warts and all of Dragon Gate USA in 2013. Which, which for all of the the criticism that you can make about Gabe, and I think there's a lot that is is really fair. When he gets behind a guy, you have to take notice. And Nice was very much the guy at this point where you know if we could extend Dragon Gate USA by a year or by 18 months, I think it becomes the Anthony Nice promotion, and I think I'd be okay with that given his work so far. And then we have probably my favorite Nice promo of all time. He After the match, he's celebrating. He starts his promo by saying, Hey, 
like he's Buckley from King of the Hill. <laughs> Cracked me up. Did you notice this was just me that he... I, I did not make the Buckley comparison in my head, but now that you mention it, you are on the right track. Yeah, yeah. He said, hey. And then, paraphrasing, he called himself the fucking best. So It was awesome. It was really cool that he did that. Great line. Just power move here. And he, said he started running down people, talking about A.R. Fox, talking about Johnny Gargano. That brought out Ricochet, who was mad that he was not mentioned. Uh, then Nee says he's going to wipe the mat with him tomorrow. Ricochet gets into his face. He's about to get teamed up by the Premier Athlete brand, but Mr. A, miscommunication, he bounces into Nice instead, and then Ricochet walks away with Mr. A's sunglasses. Yeah, nice little spot here. I thought I thought everybody played their roles here well. Gabe seemed to really have an affinity for making Mr. A be physical, and this is not the last time we see him in some sort of post-match attack angle, but I thought with the timing that Ricochet brought to the table, this was pulled off pretty well. Yeah, and it's something building up the next show, which is something that we don't always happen in DGUSA at this point. So I was just like, oh, we're actually having a story-to-story build like you would do on previous triple shots. Thank you, finally. Yeah, it was nice. Then we had semi-main event, Masaki Mochizuki defeating Johnny Gargano in a non-title match with a Sankaku Gary to the head. Starting the match, Johnny took umbrage with the fact that when Masaki Mochizuki came out, they, they chanted next world champ at him, which, hey, I mean, he should be the world champ of everything. He's Masaki fucking Mochizuki. And then he mentioned that he is not feeling having a, he brought up the idea of having a roast. Masaki Mochizuki, no idea what he was saying. And he says he's not feeling it, but he will do it tomorrow. And he's announced that Barack Obama was coming to the road. And then he just starts saying that people should be excited about it. It's not going to be for you. It's going to be for them. And then he calls out Rich Swan, his best friend. And Rich Swan says, yeah, I'll roast you tomorrow. And then John Davis comes out and attacks Rich Swan. And that match is underway now. A Misaki Mochizuki and Jai Gargano with a, another random John Davis attack before a Dragon Gate uh, Japan versus an American match. So the John Davis run was super dumb. I am continuously baffled by the handling of John Davis. It really is such a black mark on this promotion because he is such a talented wrestler that had such a good character going for him, and then they turned him heel, and it has been such a, an undeniable disaster at this point. The Gargano promo was super entertaining. I talked about it on the last set of shows. Gabe is really uh, putting forth an effort to make Gargano a TV-ready star at this point, and that's exactly what Gargano's doing. I think he's shining in all of these promo segments in this one where he asked Mochizuki if he wants to roast him. Mochizuki obviously doesn't know what that means. A a very... I'm not going to call it an American concept, but certainly not something that I would see assimilating well to Japanese culture. The roast i i just don't i don't yeah. think that gets over there and then gargano says obama is coming which uh <laughs> it's just very <laughs> very funny to hear the vocal boos of barack obama in 2013 i you know it, you can think whatever you want about obama it's just very funny just the landscape of u.s politics and the way they've changed since then and then gargano says that uh barack obama cares about gargano which made me laugh out loud it just was like a really funny segment good use of everyone involved here and then we had the match Masaki Mochizuki defeated him with the Sunkaku Gary to the head and Case had another issue here that the environment lessened this match significantly to my books oh my god there's a moment earlier where Gargano goes for a super kick on the floor 
and Mochizuki ducks and he kicks the floor, or kicks the post, rather, and you could hear a cricket. I mean, it is so quiet in this building for a spot that I think would typically be the hook to get people invested in this match. Right, yeah, because the most of this match is Misaki Mochizuki just beating ass, and that's one of the, my favorite things in wrestling, but, like, the crowd doesn't care. They're all trying. It's just like, what are we doing here at that moment? Yeah, it's a bummer because I still, like, I thought this was better than Nice versus Susumu, and other than the four-way match, I thought this was the best thing on the show up to this point, but that really speaks to, one, just the sheer talent of Masaki Mochizuki, but also Gargano, who I feel like me in particular, I've been incredibly critical of him during this series because he hasn't really hit the high points that I've wanted him to hit. Well, now he's really become the total package as a worker, and I think he and Mochizuki muster up a three-and-a-half-star effort for a match that two lesser workers are going to sink in this sink-or-swim environment in. Yeah, this is a a three-and-a-half-star match. I'm totally with you on that. And it's something where, like, this is a match where I would have loved to see it play back. You know, like, what would happen if in Dragon Gate USA 2015 you get this match? And I feel like that would be, in front of a crowd that would appreciate it, this is probably a four-star match if they just did the exact same match, and it would be just as compelling, right? Yeah, absolutely. Gargano, I was thinking about this when I was watching the match, he always got his ass kicked in this building because the, the Swan match is pretty physical for Swan standards. He's got this match where, uh, you know, the whole match is Mochizuki just beating him up. The next time they're in this building, he wrestles Trent, and I think he gets hurt in that match and then the time after that, he wrestles Biff Busick and he breaks his jaw in that match. So this building was not friendly to Johnny Gargano. Not at all. Not at all. So the main event. Open the United Gate Championship match. The Young Bucks versus the Young Bucks Challenger Hold Tournament. Hold on, not the Young Bucks versus the Young Bucks. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's the Young Bucks versus the Bravados. We've been recording for a while, y'all. Um, what was the tournament? It was the Young Bucks In- uh, Invitational Tournament. And the Young Bucks Invitational Tournament winner, the Bravado Brothers of Harlem and Lancelot Bravado. The Bravado Brothers defeat the Young Bucks. They become Open the United Gate champions after a gentleman's agreement on Nick. So it happened. The Young Bucks lost the belts, and they lost it to the Bravado Brothers. Think about the political ramifications of this match. You have the Bucks, who are the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, who are also the Drangate USA Tag Team Champions, wrestling on a Drangate USA show against a team that had cut their teeth and pro-wrestling Noah. Hey, I mean, the Bravado bandwagon was in full force. Yeah, you, you know why? Because this match was fucking awesome, Mike. I loved this match. I had a very... This is interesting. So I loved a match that you didn't care for. This was a match that I couldn't wrap my head around. So Like, maybe it was the fact that the Bravado Brothers came out to a marching band version of Axel F. Which was and awesome. Complete, which is just, like, bizarre and awesome. But I'm like, what are we doing here? So, you're right. The structure of this match was super weird. They worked this like it was the blow-off of a six-month feud instead of the first time that these two teams had ever touched because out of the gate, it's super frantic. Uh, Not necessarily scramble energy, but just this idea of, like, they're brawling. They're not really tagging. There's just a lot of guys going in and out and in and out. But it leads to some stuff, like Harlem Bravado in particular... One, he threw a wicked bicycle kick that Lenny Leonard popped for on commentary. He couldn't believe how good this thing looked. 
And then he also did a dive over the top rope that, you know, it fit right in with what the other guys on the show were doing. Like, you know, the bravados can kind of blend together at times. They can be a little bit bland. But Harlem Bravado in particular was excellent in this match. And I thought the bravados hung with the Bucks the entire way through. I'm sure even in the, the five episodes we have remaining, I will be critical of the Bravado brothers. But in this match, they worked a Young Bucks match and they were capable of doing it. I went four stars on the dot here. There's a ton of spots that I can get into in a second before I, I hear your counter that I really liked. Or I guess after I hear your counter that I really liked. So I actually sat after the show went off the air, stared at my notebook, my notes, for a good like three minutes before I went, okay, three and a quarter. <laughs> like, wow. I just, this was a very fascinating match to me, if only for the fact that the crowd kind of was into this, but really was just kind of surprised and like wondering, like, okay, when are the Bucks going to put this away? So when the gentleman's agreement happened, you got booze, you got shock, you got like a very interesting reaction out of it. And I felt like that was interesting. And the match itself, I mean, like they kept up pace. It just was something that like, they did work this like a blow-off match, and as someone coming into this, not keeping up with the Evolve stuff, and I knew this house switch was happening, like I didn't get the justification, and I remember I, like at this time, I was nearly completely checked out on DGUSA. I know I watched the show, but I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the show, I'll watch it, it's Dragon Gate, okay, I guess see Misaki Mochizuki, that's good. But like this match, it was just like such a bizarre thing, and then like the political ramifications, like they had to get the belts off of the Bucks, but like against the bravados after they they were well out of ring of honor at this time for a couple of years right uh for i think at least a few months so i mean they've been gone for a while and whenever they were in ring of honor like they had like this weird undercard kind of role that they were in and it was something that like they did make the band the bravado bandwagon to something but it just was something that while you watched it you're just like okay this is all happening. All right. This makes sense. I, this is all making sense to me. But then it gets to a point where, like, you see the finish and you see, like, the title change happens. So their last Ring of Honor match before this. Jeez. I did not scroll back far as I thought it was. Oh, they did a bunch of FIP. Okay. The, well, that's that the connection. They were on the the evolved triple shot in Florida that we talked about a few weeks ago with Gargano versus Del Sol being the headlining match there. They are on those shows and they do FIP and then they show up and evolve and then obviously drag at USA. So they're out of ring of honor in 2012, which is crazy because I feel like this act was kind of tailor made for Sinclair era ring of honor. I'm sorry. They did one match on January 5th, 2013. Apology accepted. Yeah. <laughs> so like, this is something that you think that they would like really like, but they just kind of were floating around and I guess they were getting Gabe affiliated beforehand, but just is such a weird like title switch in this team. But then again, you've lost the smash brothers. You're not getting another Japanese team in here. Like unless you were going to have the inner city machine guns win that match two months ago, you don't really have a next champion at this point. So you give it to the bravados. Look, I completely, understand and will defend the booking that Gabe did here I really don't have an issue with it because you had to get the belts off the bucks and the bravados are at least something different and I I think 
I, I just, I, I'm okay with this. Partially, I just, I thought this match was so good that it really didn't bother me. But the crowd reaction here is fascinating because there's a point in this match where the crowd seems split. Like, there is a vocal bravados camp in the crowd. And then they win. And it's stunned silence. And then the crowd turns against it. And most people are really unhappy. But... I've just, I've never heard a crowd react quite like they did here. It's so weird. It's half stunned, half furious. Yeah, and just after a match where it really felt like there was a point where it was 50-50. I mean, they do a spot where uh, one of the bravados, I don't have the name of, of, of which one did it, has Matt Jackson and an ankle lock. Nick goes to super kick the the man applying the ankle lock, he counters it, puts Nick at an ankle lock, but then Matt gets up and super kicks him. That's a great spot. I had never seen the Bucks do that before. And the crowd goes crazy. They are into this match. And then the finish happens, and just the the tone in the building, the years and years of over-promising and under-delivering, the dwindling number of Japanese talent, the confusing angles, John Davis being who he is, tech issues, iPay-per-view issues, microphones not working, bad buildings, bad ring setups, bad curtains, you know, just everything looking bad. It all kind of bubbles over here. And I don't think this is a cardinal sin by any means, because again, I liked the booking that took place here, but that live audience had a real turning point where I think they said, you know what, we're good. We don't we, Whatever this is, we don't need this anymore. Whatever you know, goodwill they had in July, it's gone now. We just sat through a show where we were promised Genki Horiguchi, we didn't get him. Uh, we were promised you know, all these other matches that were changed in the last second because, the, you know, because Brooklyn is getting Chris Hero. We're not getting Chris Hero. And I think... You know, we talked about how the promotion really shifts its tone a few different times throughout the year. I think the June 2011 shows are like, oh, we're in a new era of Dragon Gate USA. I think whatever the final uh, vestige of the original ideology is, is completely lost after Miami WrestleMania weekend. And then you have this show, which really transitions into what we can call the dying days of Drangit USA, and it's largely spearheaded by this Bravados versus Young Bucks match. Yeah, and it's not anything that the match itself. It was not a bad match. No, like I just again, I want four stars on it. Just was, and I get it. I I, I get that you were not going to be able to have the Young Bucks really in your promotion anymore. Like they were now New Japan guys, and they'd be further New Japan guys, and you have the politics there. It's just something that like. We talk about when Gabe's like tuned in and tuned out of this. Don't you think that like maybe it is because of how the layout is, but wouldn't you've built up the people being the Young Bucks a little bit more? Yeah, that is, I guess, a, a double-edged sword where you can say, well, we're going to do the surprise angle. Nobody really thinks that nobody really thinks the Bravados are going to be a focal point of this promotion. Or you could have built them up since. You know, they could have shown up WrestleMania weekend. They could have showed up in July. I think that is. I think that is probably. The issue that I have with this, if I could have done this again, I would have had the Bravados on the anniversary show and the Bushido show the night before. I think that would have really helped us. It is weird to think that this title change really comes out of nowhere, especially given the history of these belts and the Masato Yoshino situation that we covered. 
I would have liked a little bit of more of a coherent build on the way to this title change. Especially considering how great the build was to the Bucks beating Air Fox and Shima. That's true. Like, they built that up pretty much as, like, the big story in the January triple shot was, hey, we are coming for the belts. We'll beat everyone in the way since you're not here, Shima. And they did it, and they walked in, and they beat Shima for the belts. Yeah. And then this happens, and yeah, you're absolutely right. This is, like, the true signal. Like, if you weren't, like, like examining this show by show, this result should have been, like, okay, Drang and, and as soon as like I like saw this result, it's like okay, this thing's done for. And then most of my emotional interest was completely out of this promotion. Yeah, it's a real turning point, and I think you know I, I think the show was just being watched by such few people that you really yeah. can't say it's what killed the promotion. But with those still hanging on there, it's a real tough road to get back from here, and they never really write that wrong. Yeah, this was like. At this point, the promotion feels cursed, especially with this weekend, right? I mean, you're supposed to have Ginky Horiguchi, and you had those three title matches. You had a Brave Gate match in the States. Like, even with a promotion that's not doing so hot, that's a notable thing to happen. And then that things change. Well, again, let's look at this original card now that we've broken this all down. It was supposed to be, you know, featured matches of Ricochet versus Biff Busick, Masaki Mochizuki versus Anthony Nice, Genki Horiguchi versus Rich Swan, and Johnny Gargano versus Jimmy Susumu, which wasn't just a super card match. That was a match that made sense given the booking that happened a few months earlier. Whether the crowd would have picked up on that or not, because January of 2013 feels so long ago compared to November of 2013, and we're watching these shows on a week-by-week basis, you know, who knows? But at least there would have been some you know, legitimate build there. And instead you get this show that is just really frustrating where I think Chuck versus Trent disappoints. I think Swan versus Ricochet disappoints. You're in a different camp there. And the two matches that feature Dragon Gate talent are handicapped by an audience that only cares so much. And the one act they care about really, and probably the act why they were there, like let's be honest here, loses to a team you probably have only heard about and fleeting things unless you are the kind of person that was watching Sinclair Ring of Honor or getting your Noah tapes where the last match that they had Noah by the way uh this was on May this was on March 31st 2013 the Bravado brothers face off against Itsushi Katoge and Super Crazy and they lose in nine minutes that sounds terrific so like why should the crowd be invested at this point yeah, no, it's, I, it's again, I, I understand what Gabe was trying to do, but I don't think it came across as strongly, obviously, as he had wanted it to, but it's just, it, I've never felt an audience like this before, where they are into this match, it's really like they were playing a role, and they were cheering on the Bravados because they wanted that indie 50-50 crowd but then the Bravados actually won, and they were like, no, no, we, we want to return this item. We no longer wish to have this as our reality. <laughs> it, it, I, I know this wouldn't be a case for you, Case, it, it, but sometimes you might have had a couple drinks, and you go on it, and you go onto like an online website like Amazon, and you're like, oh, I think I might want this. And then it gets to your house, and you're like, why did I order this in the first place? Uh, this is defective. That's right, defective. And then you mail it back. And the Bravado Brothers are wrestling's most effective tag team. They are. I mean, they're one and zero in DGUSA at this point. It's unreal. It's the the whole thing is bizarre. <laughs> this show is bizarre, and next week is only going to get crazier. 
Yeah, so unless you have any more thoughts about Fearless, let's talk about next week's show. Freedom Fight 2013 from the Brooklyn Lyceum, November 17th, 2013. This show features the following. John Davis versus Stephen Walters. Mr. Touchdown versus Jervis Cottonbelly. God damn it. We are at the point of the series where I just can't handle Gentleman Jervis, but I guess we're going to do that. Uh, Jimmy Susumu versus Chuck Taylor, a non-title three-way tag elimination match with Fire Ant and Jigsaw against Andrew Everett and Caleb Conley and the Bravado Brothers. A grudge match between Ricochet and Anthony Nice. Trent versus Rich Swan. We'll talk some FIP next week and why that match is super important. And then your final two matches, AR Fox and Masaki Mochizuki versus the Young Bucks and the Open the Freedom Gate title match with Johnny Gargano versus Chris Hero. I can't say I'm super excited about that show. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even... I, I Oh, no, go ahead. I cut you off. I was going to say, first, it's the Brooklyn Lyceum. And it's Jervis Cottonbelly. That's tough. That's tough. And yeah. Uh, what were you about to say? Well, I think this show is going to really be decided on how good Ricochet versus Nice is. Because I think the three-way tag is guaranteed to be at least fun. And those last three matches, I don't really remember... Uh, Swan versus Trent or the Young Bucks tag. I remember a lot about Gargano versus Hero. That match is great. Uh, Trent and Swan had excellent, excellent chemistry with one another. Again, we'll talk about that more next week. And it's a Bucks match with Masaki Mochizuki. It's going to be very good at minimum. So, assuming Ricochet versus Nice delivers, this could be an all right show. That's fair. That's fair. I I shouldn't say I'm not looking forward to it. I, I like this series. It's just like, we're really into it now we knew this was coming but who knows maybe we thought we'd get distracted by this point no and i it's only going to go downhill from here i was looking ahead and it is not pretty what follows freedom fight it's getting dire y'all but with that there's only five more dgusa shows we can count it on one hand uh yeah we're almost through <laughs> well we've got five weeks of just bizarre things ahead of us case but by by five weeks from now we're gonna be going into what would be sp- Nah, it, it, I was gonna say what would be spring break, but yeah. But anyways, that's it. Unless you have anything else <laughs> you want to hit on, I the, just like looking at these shows. Like, like I'm looking forward to completing the project and talking about the fallout. But man, having to see Jervis Cottonbelly in the Brooklyn Lyceum, come on, come on. Yeah, that's all I got. Next week should be very interesting. Yeah, it will be. So as I said, there's five more shows left. Thank you all for listening and joining us on this voyage. If you're someone who, who who's like, I'm waiting for them to get into the the, the darker days, congratulations. You've gotten to that point. We're, we're in it now. But for Case, I'm Mike. You could follow us on Twitter at Open VoiceGate. You could follow myself at Fujihea. Or you could follow Case Low. Or and. It's late and case low at underscore in your case. I'm Mike, and for case, that's it for Open the Voice Gate. Take care.